mighty things for your glory. We know that your word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Oh God, would you use your word this morning to encourage, to bring conviction, to build up, and to stir us to love you more. So God, would you do this for your namesake and for your glory? I pray this in Jesus' mighty, miraculous, matchless name. Amen. Amen. Well, ARC, it is a blessing to be able to dive back in to the book of 2 Timothy. And before diving into verses 1 through 7 in chapter 2, I just want to kind of uh, set up the message by reminding us of um, what Paul told Timothy in verses 13, chapter 1, verses 13 through 18. Um, in those verses, verses 13 through 18, Paul told Timothy to hold fast and to be faithful to the gospel. And if you remember, he gave two examples after that to Timothy. He gave an example of what unfaithfulness looked like, and then he gave Timothy an example of what faithfulness looked like. Um, with the example of unfaithfulness, he pointed out that all in Asia had walked away from him. All in Asia had turned on him. And then he said, amongst them were Phagellus and Hermogenes. He calls out these leaders. And he said, Phagellus and Hermogenes, they left me. They turned on me. They walked away from me. And he points out that this um, is a, an example of unfaithfulness, Timothy. Don't follow that example. But then he gives Timothy an example of what faithfulness is. And he points to a man by the name of Onesiphorus. Um, he said, Onesiphorus came and refreshed me. When I was in jail, when I was in prison, Onesiphorus risked his life and he came and he refreshed me. Um, he was not ashamed of my chains. So Onesiphorus was someone who was willing to risk his life in order to comfort Paul, to minister to Paul, to refresh him. And he says to Timothy, this is an example that you ought to follow. This is a faithful man that you ought to imitate. So now when we come to chapter 2, verse 1, he says, You then, it could also be translated, therefore, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. He says, Timothy, follow the example of Onesiphorus, and you then, you be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Before we go any further, I want to ask you a question. Do you know the grace that is found in Christ Jesus? Do you know the grace that makes Christians sing? Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. 
Do you know that grace? The grace that we see in Ephesians 2.8 where it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God. Salvation is absolutely free. It's a gift of God in Christ. And our only responsibility is to receive it by faith. One of my favorite preachers, Charles Spurgeon, said this, Free grace can go into a gutter and bring up a jewel. <laughs> Do you know this grace? Have you experienced the saving grace of Jesus Christ? B.B. Warfield said, Grace is free, sovereign favor to the ill-deserving. John Stott said, Grace is love that cares and stoops and rescues. Jerry Bridges said, Grace is God reaching down to people who are in rebellion against him. Grace is beautiful. Grace is lovely. And if you are here this morning and you don't know the saving grace of God found in Jesus Christ, I want you to know this morning that this grace is free. It's the free gift of God, but you must recognize your need for it. You must recognize your need for a Savior. You must see that you are a sinner. You must see that you need a righteousness that can come only from Jesus Christ. You must see that you have rebelled against God. You must see that because you have rebelled against God, the wages of sin is death, and we deserve to die. But I want to let you know, because of the free grace given in Christ, your sins can be forgiven. Jesus, who is fully God and fully man, is called the mediator. He's the one who stands in the gap between sinful men and a holy and righteous God. Jesus Christ is able to reconcile or to bring sinful men to a holy and righteous God and to present them as blameless. If you don't know this grace found in Jesus Christ this morning, I want to encourage you to cast yourself upon Jesus Christ to flee your sin, to turn from your sin. The Bible calls it repentance, to repent of your sin and put your trust in Jesus Christ, the one who died for our sins, the one who was buried, but the one who also rose again. He was crushed under the wrath of God so that sinners like us would not be crushed under the wrath of God. The judgment of God was poured out upon Jesus Christ so it wouldn't be poured out upon you. But the only way that you can find refuge is to hide in Jesus. And this grace is free. You don't have to do anything. You know what you have to do? Believe. Believe. Believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Believe that He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to God but through Him. Surrender to Jesus if you don't know him, and that free grace will be offered to you. But God's grace doesn't just save. His grace also sustains. According to verse 1, 
grace is just not given to us to begin the Christian walk. Grace is also given to us to continue in the Christian walk. Paul tells Timothy to be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Paul was not telling Timothy to do something that he was unfamiliar with. If you just turn two chapters over, Paul talks about how the Lord strengthened him. If you want to look on with me, this is in chapter 4, verses 16 and 17. Paul says, At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. Paul's talking about how the Lord came and strengthened him in these verses. How when no one stood by him at his first defense, God stood by him and God strengthened him. And God gave him the strength that he needed to endure. So Paul's not telling Timothy to do something that he hasn't done. Paul has been a man who's been fully relying upon God's grace. And he wants Timothy to follow his example. We see in 2 Corinthians 12 where Paul talks about this thorn that was in his flesh. And if you remember, he prays that God would take away this thorn three times. He said, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Paul knew what it meant to be dependent upon God's grace, to be sustained by God's grace. And he knew that God's grace was sufficient. Paul knew what it meant to be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And he encouraged Timothy to lean in to this grace, to be dependent upon this grace. If Timothy was going to endure suffering as a good soldier, then he needed to be strengthened by the grace that is found in Christ Jesus. If Timothy was going to be faithful in passing on the gospel baton to faithful men who would then pass on the gospel baton to others, he needed to be strengthened by the grace that was in Christ Jesus. If Timothy was going to continue to preach the gospel in the midst of hardship and persecution and false teachers rising up, coming against him, he was going to, to need to be strengthened by the grace that is found in Christ Jesus. And not only Timothy needed to be strengthened by the grace that is found in Christ Jesus, but we need to be strengthened by the grace that is found in Christ Jesus as well. We need to be strengthened every single day by the grace that is found in Jesus Christ. We need to abide in Christ. We need to live in the gospel. We need to live in this grace and cast ourselves fully upon him for everything we do. Not just ministry, but how you love your wife, husbands, wives, how you submit to your husbands. Fathers and mothers, how you love your children. Singles, how you abide in contentment. 
we need to consistently be strengthened by the grace that is found in Christ Jesus and strengthened by grace that helps us to be faithful to this mission of spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. In verse 2, he says, And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust the faithful men who will be able to teach others. Timothy was supposed to look for two characteristics. One was men who are faithful. The other characteristic was people who would be able to teach others. He was supposed to find disciples who were faithful and disciples who would be able to teach others. Paul was telling Timothy to continue to pass on this gospel baton. To continue to entrust to faithful men the gospel of Jesus Christ. This message was entrusted to Paul. We see that in verse 12 of chapter 1. Verse 12 reads this. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. And I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. So this, this gospel was given to Paul. And then Paul passed this gospel on to Timothy. We see that in verse 14 where he says, By the Holy Spirit who dwells within you, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Paul received this gospel from Christ. He then passes the gospel baton on to Timothy. He then tells Timothy, Timothy to guard the good deposit entrusted to him. And he tells him how to do it by the power of God. Because he knows that he can't do it in his own strength and in his own might. But then he goes on in chapter 2, verse 2, to say, Now this gospel that has been entrusted to you, you need to now entrust this to others. Entrust this to other faithful men. Now, if you think about this, this is absolutely amazing. That here it is, we read about the gospel being passed on to Timothy, and Timothy passing it on to others, and here it is, now we're in southeast D.C., years later, and the gospel is still continuing to be proclaimed and passed on. It's now being passed on with Pastor Jeremy going to northeast D.C. to plant a church. Lord willing, it will be passed on beyond that. The gospel baton is being passed on to those who are in the Middle East, who are here with us today, who are preaching and proclaiming Christ and Him crucified. And they're passing the gospel baton on to others. And by God's grace, the gospel baton will continue to be passed in every single place, every single tribe, every single people group, by the power of God. And we need to be strengthened by God's grace to do so. So he says, Timothy, which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, this gospel I preach, many people heard it. You were there. They were there. They were present. And trust this gospel to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. In verses 3 through 6, 
Paul then gives three metaphors. The first metaphor that he gives is in verses 3 through 4. It's the metaphor of a soldier. The second metaphor that he gives is the metaphor of an athlete. That's in verse 5. And the third metaphor that he gives is the metaphor of a farmer. That's in verse 6. In the first metaphor of the soldier, we see that Paul talks about how the Christian is supposed to be someone who is devoted and someone who denies himself. We see denial and devotion. He says in verse 3, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. As Christians, we are in a battle. Whether you want to be in a battle or not, as a Christian, you're in a battle. Right now, you're in a battle. You're in a battle with your flesh. You're in a battle with Satan. The Bible says that Satan walks around like a roaring lion seeking who he can devour. He comes to kill, steal, and destroy. We are consistently in a battle. As we spread the gospel, we're in a battle. We have, we have uh, opposition coming against us. Timothy had opposition coming against him. And Paul told Timothy to share in suffering as a good soldier. And he said in verse 4, No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who has enlisted him. He's like, don't get entangled with civilian pursuits. Your aim should be to please God. Your aim should be to please Him. Don't get entangled with things that will take your focus off of Christ. Now I want to ask a question. This morning, what may be some of the things that are entangling you? What are some of the things that may be taking your focus off of Jesus, off of Christ, to where you can't have this singular type of devotion, this singular type of dedication towards the Lord? When it comes to the metaphor of a soldier, I kind of understand what the work of a soldier is like. Um, I had an uncle who was in the Marines. I had another uncle who was in uh, the army, and another uncle who was in the Air Force. So I kind of heard certain things that they did and um, what it was like to be a soldier. But just to get a, a clearer understanding of what a soldier was, I asked um, a brother if he could tell me what his life of a soldier was like. And he sent me an email and just sent me some things that was very helpful um, just understanding the life of a soldier. He said, for the soldier, the president is not just the president, but also the commander-in-chief. Meaning, we may not agree with the politics or decisions, but we, but when the orders come down the chain from our commanding officers, we respond by saying, yes, sir. And then he went on to say that there's this saying in the military that says, if the military wanted you to have an opinion, they would give it to you. <laughs> he goes on to share a personal story. He said, 
his kids, he had his, his two twins um, two days after 9-11. He said he informed um, his commanding officer, and he said his commanding officer, when he heard it, he said, congratulations, you're going to Afghanistan. He said he realized then that nothing comes before the mission. Family, friends, and even yourself. Technically, you are property of the United States military. Military orders is, is a command from your superiors that documents where you are going and how long you will be staying. You do not have the final say in these matters. He went on to say that there's benefits, though. There's benefits to help the soldiers focus on the task. He said the benefits are food, clothing, housing, education, pension, health, dental, to pay and take care of the soldiers so that they can train and be trained in order to focus on being on the mission. Well, brothers and sisters, our commander-in-chief is Jesus Christ. And what he tells us to do, we respond back by saying, yes, sir. Yes, sir. If he tells us to move our lives or our families into Southeast D.C. for the sake of the gospel, we respond back by saying, yes, sir. If he tells us as soldiers of Christ to move our lives and our families into Iraq for the sake of the gospel, we respond back by saying, yes, sir. If we're in a relationship that is sinful and not glorifying God and we're entangled in this relationship and he tells us to walk away from this relationship, we don't wrestle with that. We respond to him by saying, yes, sir. Whatever God asks of his soldiers, his soldiers in Christ, we respond by saying, yes, sir. And we don't respond in a way to where it's a burden to us. As Christians, we respond with great joy. Because the one that we're responding to is a Savior who loves us. The Bible says that we are compelled by love. It's the love of Christ that compels us. We want to do these things because we want to surrender our lives in any way possible in order to bring glory to Him. And to be honest, a lot of times that is hard. And it's tough. And it shows why Paul said to Timothy that you must be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. You can't do this in your own strength, Timothy. You need God's strength. And when God calls us to certain things, we can't do this in our own strength, ARC. We need God's strength. But God will give us the strength to accomplish what he's called us to do. In the second metaphor, he gives this picture of an athlete. In this metaphor, we see discipline. We see discipline. 
Verse 5 says, an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. What he's saying here, it's kind of like um, if people are on a soccer field playing soccer. And instead of kicking the ball into the goal, the person who's about to kick the goal says to himself or herself and makes up their mind that instead of kicking this ball into the goal, I'm going to pick this ball up. And I'm going to throw this ball into the goal because I think I'll have a better chance of scoring a goal. That's not playing according to the rules. You will be disqualified if you do that. It's not playing according to the rules. And here it is in the text. Paul is saying that athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. As Christians, whether we believe it or not or want to accept it or not, there's certain rules that we have to abide by. But these are not rules that we do out of duty. We do these rules out of delight because God has so transformed our lives that we want to keep God's commandments. God has so transformed our lives to where we want to strive for godliness. God has so transformed our lives to where we want to strive for righteousness. God has so transformed our lives to where we want to put to death sin. And the Bible makes it very clear that we are to discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness. For bodily discipline is of some value, but godliness is not only profitable for this life, but also for the life to come. So the athlete disciplines himself. Paul said in another verse... Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. He goes on to say, every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wealth. wealth. But we in an imperishable so I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beat in the air. But I discipline my body and keep it under control, least after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. So he says, there's athletes who run. They train all their lives to run for a couple of seconds to attain a goal, a, 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 a medal, a trophy that will perish. It's not, it's not that these things are bad. Praise God. Let's, let's do sports to the glory of God. Let's run to the glory of God. But he's saying these trainers, these athletes who train and run to receive this, this natural trophy, this natural medal, they train so hard for a medal that's going to perish. But the Christian... He ought to train in the same exact way, knowing that the prize that he receives is unfading, is imperishable, is kept in heaven for you. This is a prize that cannot be corrupted. This prize is the prize that's given to the Christian, the Christian who disciplines himself for the purpose of godliness. And again, that is done 
by God's grace. That can't be done in our own strength or might. That's why Paul starts off chapter 2 by saying, Timothy, be strengthened in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Keep that in your mind as you hear these exhortations to do other things. And the third metaphor, Paul gives a metaphor of a farmer. In this metaphor, we see that the Christian is to work hard and to be diligent. Verse 6 says, It is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. The farmer often works, sometimes independently. His life is made up of hard work, consistently tilling the ground, removing weeds, planting seeds, watering, and patiently waiting. This is the picture that he gives Timothy in this metaphor. He says, you are to plant and sow and plant and sow, and it's hard work. And you're supposed to keep on going and going and going and wait patiently for the harvest. In our culture, we're not accustomed to waiting patiently. We want things right away. So it's easy for us at times just to give in or give up. But he says, no, be like a farmer who toils, who gets up early, who toils um, day after day after day, waiting patiently for the harvest. And this is the thing, brothers and sisters. The farmer can't make seeds grow. He does his job but he knows that it's God who must send the rain. It's God who must shine the sun. It's God who must cause the seed to grow. So he does his job that he's been called to do, fully dependent upon God to bring the increase. In the same way, brothers and sisters, we're called to sow and sow and to plant believing that God will bring the harvest, knowing that God will bring the increase. Parents, we're like farmers. We sow and sow and sow into our children in hopes that eventually God will bring the increase, that he will bring the harvest. Brothers and sisters, many of you are sowing into family members, sowing the gospel into your father, who's an unbeliever. Sowing the gospel into your mother, who's an unbeliever. Your cousins. Whoever it is that you can think of. You've been sowing and sowing and sowing. And maybe you have become discouraged because you haven't seen the harvest. But I want to encourage you to continue to be like this hard-working farmer. Who sows and sows and sows and sows and sows. Believing that God is going to bring a harvest. For some of us, we may not see the harvest in this life. For some of us, we may not see what our labor has accomplished in this life. But I guarantee you, because your labor is not in vain, you will receive a reward when we see our Father in glory. No ifs, ands, or buts. The farmer has to wait patiently. We are planting seeds consistently. 
And what keeps the farmer diligent is the promise that the harvest will come. Is the promise that the reward will come. Galatians 6, 9 says, And let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Hallelujah. My brothers and sisters in, in the Middle East who are here, keep sowing as hardworking farmers. God's going to bring people to himself. And even if you don't see the reward in this life, you're going to see the reward. There's a reward. There's a crown that awaits you. I love what Paul says in 2 Timothy um, chapter 4. Uh, 2 Timothy chap chapter 3. No, I'm right. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. He says, I have fought the good fight of faith. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And I love this part. It encourages my heart so much. He goes on to say, and not only me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. He's like, man, I fought the good fight. I've labored hard. I finished the race. We don't just want to run the race, brothers and sisters. We want to finish the race knowing that there's a reward that awaits you. This crown that Paul talks about, this crown of righteousness that will be given by the judge, not only to Paul, but to all, to those who loved his appearing. That's us if we remain faithful to the end. And because of the promise of being strengthened by God's grace, we will. We will. Lastly, in verse 7, Paul ends by saying, think about it. Very simple. He says, think about it. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Notice this. That is a promise. He says he will give you understanding in everything. It doesn't say he might. He says if you think about these things, there's a promise that he will give you understanding in everything. He tells Timothy to think about these things that he just said. Now, we live in a social media saturated society. And because of that, sometimes it's hard just to sit and think about God's word. We're so distracted by so many different things. Sometimes we're in Bible study and a text comes in and next thing you know, we grab our phone. Y'all know, be honest. And it takes you off of that time where you're trying to have singular focus with the Lord. There's times where we're in the Word and maybe our email is up and an email comes in and we then check that email and it takes us away from thinking upon God's Word. For some of us, Maybe the Lord may want you to fast from social media and Facebook for a season in order for you to have singular focus on the Lord, to think over his truths. And for us who have social media, Facebook and Twitter and other things, 
Use that to the glory of God, but be careful that it doesn't draw you away from intimacy and time to think over the word, to think over God's promises. He doesn't tell us to just pray over the word. He tells us to think about the word. That takes meditation. That takes time. That takes focus. That takes coming before the Lord and turning off our phones at times so that we can think upon his truth. But what should motivate us in doing this, he says, he will give us understanding. That's a promise. Oh, if we go into meditating upon God's word, knowing that he's going to give us understanding because he's promised us, it would change how we sit at the feet of Jesus. So brothers and sisters, as we close, let's think over what Paul has said to Timothy, what Paul has said to us, knowing that the Lord will give us understanding in everything. Let me close this in prayer. Father, thank you for your grace. Because apart from your grace, we wouldn't be able to do any of these things that Paul exhorted Timothy to do. Because we can't do this in our own strength. We can't endure suffering as a good soldier in our own strength. We can't entrust to faithful men and women the things that we have heard in our own strength. We can't have the discipline of an athlete or work hard like a farmer in season and out of season. We can't be like the soldier, Lord, who shows this consistent devotion and even denial of self in our own strength and might. No, we need your grace. We need to be strengthened by your grace consistently. Oh God, would you strengthen us at Anacostia River Church to follow the pattern of sound teaching, to guard the good deposit entrusted to us, to endure suffering as good soldiers, to pass on the gospel baton from one person to another person. Oh God, would you help us by your grace to think upon the things that you have said to us, knowing that you have given us a promise that, that you will give us understanding. Oh Father, would you please help us because we deeply desire to not only know more of you, but to make you known. Oh, Father, help us to be so consumed with Christ and so consumed with the mission to where we have a singular focus, to where everything in comparison to Jesus really does look like trash. So, God, would you please take your word that's been sown into our hearts as it was prayed earlier, and cause more gospel grace to grow in us. Would you do this for your namesake, for your glory, and would you do this for our joy? We'll give you all the honor, glory, and praise because you deserve every bit of it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.